Who wants to kick off first question? Thank you so much, Professor. Um, uh, the question was about, um, you, you talked a bit about the descriptions of paradise and how, for example, when Allah says fruit or cup, that won't have the same material meaning. Um, d does that also apply to hell? So when we read descriptions of fire, uh. does, does fire have the same meaning? Um, will, will, will individuals receive a torment specific to them and is the Quran kind of giving us a universal archetype um, or is it actually no because every single generation of every single time will find those descriptions terrifying so the relativity only applies to heaven yeah the, uh, okay, the, 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 the question yeah the question um, is it for those the, the, the descriptions of, of uh, paradise are archetypes and metaphoric um, and for the theologians who who uh, argued that uh, did they believe the the same thing about hellfire um, because um, Joe also pointed out that the, the thing about hellfire is that it is universally terrifying for every generation. Um, while you we're talking about fruits or rivers of honey or wine and so on, uh, could be relative to different generations. This, well, first, this was you. You put you touch upon. Um, a very lively debate because among the those who said well the very nature of reality itself will change and in fact they they go so people like um, um, Ibn Arabi and Jilani are, are good examples they 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 say even the physical bodies um, they don't necessarily you will be resurrected in a body form, but what that really means, uh, you know, are bodies going to be, and they always point to the, the, the Quranic descriptions of bodies testifying against it and say, you know, well, it, we, in our life here on earth, hands and arms and feet don't speak. Um, what does that mean in the hereafter? And they say, you, you must submit to the humble realization that the constructed material world in which you live is exactly that. It's an artificial constructed material world set for this stage in life, but the, that Allah is capable of altering that material world in and of course, they often refer to Quranic verses like uh, just things will be different. Vague reference of the Quran that it's just going to be different. And you don't have a frame of reference to understand the difference. So when it comes to, to hellfire, the, 
specifically Sufis like Jilani, and also Ibn Arabi to a large extent, said that torment is individual and it's of the nature of the sin. But what is the essence of fire? The essence of fire is that it is an energy that deconstructs and breaks down. And so in the same way that jinn are created from smokeless fire, the fire that Allah speaks about, the fire that will disintegrate flesh and flesh will be replaced, is it the same fire that we see on this earth? Or is it some form of energy that deconstructs and breaks down and causes considerable amount of agony? And in um, but there are like Ghazali for instance says no when Allah talks about hellfire it's the same idea that hellfire is a, is a constant human beings will always be scared of fire and they often also say that um, fire is very specific because it was referred to in the Bible as well, so it's a constant theme in, among monotheistic religions that hell is hell. Um, and also that Allah has made fire, created it as the one force that um, breaks down creation so that it's it's universal and eternal my own um i incline to say my own belief i mean and I'll, uh, is from studying the quran and is that i think that um punishment in the hereafter in many ways is more terrifying than just a good burn. Um, how long does a good burn last? I mean, if you've seen someone burn to death, it's actually pretty quick. Uh, what is far more terrifying is a pain akin to this fire that doesn't give you the relief of death so quickly. And, and, in, and this is, inshallah, we'll get to that as, as we journey in the Quran, but um, when you confront the true nature of your sins and if you confront the true ugliness of the sin, the type of pain that it could, but for Allah's mercy, uh, we feel, all, all things that we feel, all pain that we feel on this earth is filtered by Allah's mercy. 
if Allah's mercy is lifted and we confront the true nature of pain, unfiltered by Allah's mercy, that's what I think is truly terrifying. But well, inshallah we'll get to that because that's a very big... Um, but this is a really good question. Um, can I ask about the part where you were talking about how our companions um, would be us, ourselves, um, if we're in heaven? Mm -hmm. So is that intended to be... I mean, so presumably being in heaven means that's a good thing, but I but that's a dual message, right? Because it's a warning. If we are not elevated or if we're not good or we don't develop, then how is that a reward? Or wouldn't that be more of a punishment? But, yeah, I mean, the, it is in the same way that, because Allah says in the Quran, that, that protect yourself and your folk and your family from hellfire. So, in fact, you have an incentive to teach your family. Um, you know, we, we have a, a goal in the same idea of a saqf, that, you know, what are your objectives? Well, we don't raise, because we, we've lost a lot of our Islam, we don't raise our families with the idea, okay, it's not just about staying together on this earth, but it's about staying together in the hereafter. And people, we've got to work really hard to stay together in the hereafter because it would be horrible if we break up the family in the hereafter. I, you know, I will miss you too much. Mm -hmm. um, and... Theologians say, well, you know, it, it, those who are, are go to Jannah, they, Allah will cure that pain of missing whoever doesn't. So, you know, your child doesn't make it to heaven. Allah is capable of making that not hurt and of giving you a companion that will be effectively a replacement to, of your child. But... The theologians that said no, it's it's it, when man refers to children and as well as refers to your actual marital partners if they make it. One is that whoever makes it to heaven, your 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 partner is presented in the most beautific form. So you get your partner, your zauj, uh, your husband, your wife in 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 so, and they refer to to some hadith that. The Prophet said to uh, some of his wives about accompanying him in, in, in heaven, and that, but they will be in the most beautiful form that they can, and, and so on. It, it, I mean, we, we'll come back to it, inshallah, in, in other surahs because it does recur. Um, for I mean, although I tend to believe the reference, I tend to be more of the Jilani type, Ibn Arabi type school of thought that believes 
that the reference to Hurun Ain is a, a companionship of who you are. Um, um, but I might be wrong. And Ghazali might be ultimately right that uh, it, no, it refers to actual children and family and that Allah in doing this is alerting you that part of your objectives in the way you navigate life, uh, and he makes this point repeatedly in Hayy al-Mudin, is to pick your spouse with an eye of your companionship in the hereafter and to raise your children and to deal with your household with that objective constantly in mind. Um, so, it, you know, it says that the, the easy thing is to stay married um, in this world because that's just the contract and just you tolerate your partner. But the much harder is to preserve the family in the year after as a unit. And then that, Ghazali says, is an objective in itself, an Islamic objective that you must work towards. And, it, and it's a failure not to be able to do that. But if it's more in line with what you and Jelani and Al-Arabi thinks, if the idea is that you are trying to make yourself, like, you know, you get a taste of your own medicine, as you say, and that you want to make yourself the best you can because you're going to be your own partner and you'll only elevate as high as you get, mm -hmm. is that, is it t intended to be both, like, a, a warning? Because it's like, okay, what if you don't well, actually do well, the job I mean, Well, I mean, if, if you're in trouble, if you're in hellfire, because <laughs> then, you know the type of. It's not a question. Yeah, yeah, but if you if you are going to make it to Jannah, it's not just an issue of making it to Jannah, but it's making it what level and what, under what circumstances. So, but that is consistent with um, if you people like Jilani and Ibn Arabi are always talking about Jannah as as a process of growth and a progression in in coming ever closer to divinity um, so you position yourself in this earth as best as you can so that your journey towards the divine continues that it, it, it like Ibn Arabi had a passage and again I if I had access to my books I it is a beautiful passage where he says that um, if those who make it to Jannah and stagnate in Jannah Allah can take boredom away so you know like dogs don't feel boredom um, Allah can take boredom away but stagnation away from being Ashab al-Wujuh al-Nadira for instance those who, who would be gazing upon the face of the Lord um, is 
Ethereum. You, you've made it to Jannah, but not more than that. And so, you are ever, you're, you're, you, you, it's not just that you want to obey the divine to make it to Jannah, but you want to long for the divine to become worthy of the companionship of the divine. Now, I, I, at the same time, while I am, let's put, say, 90% sure that it is not as simple as you're going to be in Jannah eating fruit and, and drinking wine, that that is um, but you know I entertain the possibility that it is something that we just cannot conceptualize but I also understand that from living with the Quran that the Quran is constantly telling me to aspire towards Allah and the companionship of Allah and never to be satisfied with myself with, well, I've done it just enough. Um, I think you just sell yourself really short when, if you ever have the attitude. Well, you know, I just want to barely make it, you know, squeeze in type logic. Is there, is there a coconut? To add to Grace's question, uh, I was thinking about the last verse of the Fatha, and I um, feel like like sometimes we tend to make two classifications rather than three. Um, the ones who have earned Allah's um, grace and bestowed upon His mercy, but then um, the Maghdub and the Nubhan, mm. those who have receive the wrath and those who are in, in a state of being astray. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering, it, it's, it's not hard to imagine that one can be in a state of being astray in hell, but is it possible also to be in a s state of being astray in heaven as well? Uh, that gets very deep. Um, no, I mean, if you're asking me what I believe, uh, because there's a, a very interesting, I mean, and we'll get to it, we'll, we'll, we'll because it, we'll, we'll come back to it. It's not that you're astray, but it is that you have accepted, accepted a status of unfulfilled potential. It's like, um, you could be in Ashab al Nadira, that can you imagine if someone is silly enough to say, Well, I just want to be in heaven, but I don't care if I gazing upon the face of my Lord. Now, do you describe this person as a stray? 
Well, in a sense. Or do you just describe this person as incomplete? Um, you know, because there were some, uh, the Sunnah, and, and we'll, inshallah we'll get to this, the, um, the Sira is, is replete with these reports of very simple people that came to the Prophet and said, you know, what do I have to do to go and make it to heaven? Okay, you know, you do X, Y, and Z. Okay, I'm going to do exactly that and not any, you know, not even a little bit more. And the, the Prophet says, okay, fine. Um, you get the sense, and, and of course, the, the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the famous uh, story about the, the Arab who, when he heard in a, in a class that uh, attended the halaqa and, and heard that the pleasures of heaven are metaphoric and he said, you know, no, I'm looking for it. In fact, if Allah violates a single promise, I'll sue. You know, astaghfirullah I mean, it's one of these narratives about how, you know, pig-headed some people can be. What do you say about people like that? I mean, are they astray or are do you, do you pity them? Because they're just, they're not more. Um, but that's the nature of the Quran. It addresses people at different levels. And there must always be the aspiration to, to can someone truly say, I don't want to aspire to be fi aynillah? I mean, and what do you say if someone tells you, no, no, I, I, I'm a good Muslim, but I don't aspire to be fi aynillah. It's too much for me. What do you say about that? I mean, is that a person who's astray or is that a person who's just, I don't know, uh, what? Although, you know, I would respect at least the person who's honest with themselves rather than the vast majority of Muslims who just ignore the point. Because that's very dishonest. Like, they hear you, they they, they yeah, yeah, that would be nice. But nothing in their life indicates that they really want the status. Um, um, so my question is related to verse uh, 23 um, you know because uh, so it, it kind of goes back to something that we've discussed before I think in Tafsir Surat Al-Rahman but I think it was the line by line Tafsir if I don't recall but the question of Husn al um whether in paradise you 
cons you can do things that are qabih, considered qabih in the dunya or not. Um, and I mean, there would seem to be two ways to read this verse, لا لغم فيها ولا تأثيم, in the sense that no matter what you do, there's no ithim in it, or in the sense of you will never do anything that is considered to be ithim. The the traditionists, the traditionists, the way they read this verse. Sorry, can you just um, paraphrase the question? Because uh, I think not everyone okay. can hear it. The, uh, the, the verse, just so um, everyone knows the translation, um, the verse that Rami is referring to is... Um, 24. Yeah, uh, so they, they shall pass, or they will pass from hand to hand a wine cup or cats, a cup free from any uh, evil vain talk and free from sin. So the the traditionists like Ibn Kathir have a very clear answer to that. That by the way doesn't mean that they were quarrel, it means that they just pass it mm. to each other. Uh, because it, uh, although we in in modern Arabic usage tanaza means to to fight over something that's not necessarily the case in in uh, a classical Arabic. Uh, Tanaza could literally mean that you pass something along, around. Uh, so the uh, what is this cast? So Ibn Kathir and all the traditionals say that this wine doesn't cause the the evil effects of alcohol. When you drink alcohol, you engage in vain, insolent talk. And when you drink alcohol, you do vile, evil things. Well, this alcohol, according to the traditionists, doesn't intoxicate and so doesn't have the effects of the alcohol have on in this world. Of course, that begged the question, and this is where, it, okay, so if this is, if alcohol... Ibn Arabi says, well, if alcohol tastes bad, um, I don't know, uh, if alcohol tastes bad and and this alcohol doesn't even intoxicate, so why drink it? I mean, wouldn't it be better if you just drink juice? Uh, because people drink alcohol for the buzz effect, the intoxicant effect. So... Um, What is I don't I don't remember anyone that got to the point that you're raising as well. Is it is it that it's just they're incapable of doing evil in, in because not in the context of this verse in the context of other verses we do get to that. Um, and most give the answer yes. They're just the you're incapable of committing anything that can be described as evil. But then, you know, that it raises some interesting questions that we can talk about later. Um, like, for instance, you know, what if, 
your pleasure is something wrong. You know, and uh, is it that you are, you, you know, you, you get whatever you perform is not is not real in the sense of real in life and earth and that's why it's not wrong or is it that you just don't have the desire to do wrong things anymore um and that's these types of questions is precisely what sparked the metaphoric school of thought is they they consistently raise these issues of if you take the gender descriptions in a literal sense they only make sense to a very literal mind but not a mind that looks beyond the most direct effect um so So, التنازوع and التأثيم So, for someone like Jilani, for instance, who says That, that نفوسهم راضيه بمقتضيات القضاء الالهي من غايه الصفاء عن كدر الهواء ورعونات الرياء مصون محفوظ في اصداف اشباحهم عن التلطخ بقاذورات الدنيا الدنيه what do you understand from that language? I mean, like they're not going to have any desires for... They, they, they don't have the desire to engage in vanity talk, in nonsense talk, in the type of idiocy that people who drink alcohol engage in in, in earth. Um, So, yeah. For people who cannot read Arabic, how would you recommend creating this companionship with the Quran given the known issues with most translations? Okay. Um, one, uh, if you, in a very practical way, I would recommend either the translation of Muhammad Asad or the study Quran. The study Quran is a very good translation because it has a lot of footnotes that do a good job representing the various 
doesn't go into a lot of detail, but it gives you a taste of what the tradition is. So if you read the translation and you read the footnotes and study Quran by Sayyid Hussein Nasr um, it, or Muhammad Asad's translation of the Quran, uh, the message of the Quran, I, I, it, it's, it's, uh, I, in the U.S. it's hard to find, but I, I don't know. Um, someone should reprint that book. So that's one. Second, it is more than sufficient that you learn certain phrases like, and I'll give you, and I'm happy you actually asked this question, because I'll give you the tasbih that you should commit to memory and that the Prophet said has the power of taking you to the level of becoming in the eyes of God. Fi a'yunillah. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik tabaraka ismuk wa ta'ala jadduk wa la ilaha illa ghayruk. Subhanakallahum wa bihamdik tabaraka ismuk wa ta'ala jadduk wa la ilaha illa ghayruk. You simply commit a tasbih like that to memory. You listen to a khutbah like the one I gave where I talked about the meaning of subhanakallah, wa bihamduk, and, and in gratitude to you, tabaraka ismuk, glorified is your name, wa ta'ala jadduk, and no one is like you in in glory and in sovereignty. And there is no God but you. You memorize the Arabic, understanding these simple meanings, and the just repeating that after every salah, before you go to sleep, as, as Surah Tur itself instructs the Prophet ﷺ, what did I do this for? I, I sort of, um, actually I'm, I'm happy you asked this question because I, I forgot to. Um, what did I do this? Um, while he's looking for that, just to okay, let you know. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, we're, we're going to put together, we're going to collect the vicar that we've covered and put together something to, that we can make available that has the Arabic, the transliteration, so people can pronounce it, and the meaning. So, because like, I'm not also an Arabic speaker, and so 
I don't know the, the vicar, but it would be really valuable for me to like be able to say it, learn it, and all that. So we will have like a, a cheat sheet of sorts. So we'll make that available at some point. Inshallah. So this tasbih that Allah tells the Prophet says, in the morning. وَمِنَ اللَّيْلِ and at night وَإِدْبَارَ النُّجُومِ at the point of sundown a proven method if you wake up early enough schedule a time in the same way that people you know oh I'm, I'm going to work out before I go to work or I'm gonna Make sure I wake up early enough to have breakfast, or I'm going to wake up early enough to take a shower, or I don't know whatever people do. Um, well, you 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 schedule it. I'm going to wake up early enough to do the tasbih, and I am going to make sure that if you can't do it at sundown, you know after dinner, I am turning everything off no external stimulants, and I'm doing my tasbih. And before you go to sleep, as much as you can, you know, if you are able to do only three minutes at a time, do three minutes. If you're able to do five minutes, do five minutes. If, when you're going to get to the point of seriousness, you know, don't talk about Oh, I'm not feeling it until you get to the point where you're doing 15 minutes and not, and at a time. The tasbih is like every it's an addiction. Once you, it once you take it seriously, some it's as if Allah's hand reaches and makes you you can't wait. So you get done with whatever you're doing so you can go do your tasbih. I, I'm telling you the experience of people time and time and time again. You, you're, you can't get wait till you get home and you know change your clothes and, and so you can do your tasbih. You can't wait till it's bedtime so you can be in bed and and under the blankets and do your tasbih. It becomes a longing. You don't need to be an Arabic reader or speaker to do that. Sharif and, and I both observe that the beginning verses, um, depending on how you read it, it could be between six or seven um, in number for the oath. And uh, seeing as how this kind of feels like it relates back to Surah Tahij, and Hij talks about the revelation of Sabah Mathani, Wal Quran, but separately, Sabah Mathani, Wal Quran, separate from each other. No. I'm wondering, does Sabah Mathani. I'm stuck to draw about the hashiyas. Okay, yeah. Go ahead. So then, is 
is it settled that Sabr al-Bathani is Fatha and Fatha only in this in in this only in this in that particular manifestation, or can Fatha remanifest in different? Yeah, no, you see, you know, can you repeat in layman's terms, please? Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he he's as okay. So there's we've talked in the past um, when we talk about Surah Al-Hajj that. There's a reference to the Quran and a reference to Sab al Mathani. And the, the Sab al Mathani, we talked about, if you go back to the Halakha, as to whether it is the Fatha. And what they're asking is so the reference to Sab al Mathani, is it limited to the Fatha? Or is it that effectively that the number seven? can repeat as a special divine code elsewhere in the Quran. And the if um, the answer is that if you are of the Jilani, Ibn Arabi type school, you believe that the number seven is a special number in the Quran that repeats, um, especially when Allah is affirming an oath that has a very special meaning. And that the, the numerology of the Quran, of course, is a very big topic, but of course, you know, you won't find like in um, any reference to a special seven number in something like Ibn Kathir, because Ibn Kathir didn't believe in it. Um, I think, personally, I think there is something to these special references. Um, Especially that it, it, it manifests in many different ways. Um, it, it is hard to ignore the evidence of um, numerology in the Quran. It's, 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 it takes a certain, I don't know, um, insistence on just staying in the world of material facts to ignore it. So, yeah, I mean, although I'm, I'm not an expert in it, and I, it's, you know, some of it is, is very challenging to read. Uh, but it is, it is a field well worth studying for those um, to Allah directs that way. Seconds are okay. No? Any other questions? Okay. I, I, I don't see who's on screen, but is, is anyone still awake? <laughs> okay, oh, I, I see hands waving. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I think this is the last question, unless anyone comes up with any more.
um, with regards to the quote-unquote play that humans engage in in the modern day, many Muslims and non-Muslims share goals for the common good in research, economic policy, public service, etc. Should Muslims strive to differentiate their work from non-Muslims in some way if the end goal is the same? What does it mean to not be in a state of play when the outcomes of public good are the same? And why is it necessary to connect Islamic spiritual priorities with universally accessible goals for good and welfare? Yeah, I mean, this is, um, this is a good question. It, we Muslims can participate in the public good, and in fact it's not can. It, it, Muslims should pioneer the public good. And when we talk about um, uh, the idea of frivolous play, there, there, are, there are two levels to it. There's the individual level and there is the level of public mores or public values. At the individual level, It is, and there is, it's a metaphysical and a basic philosophical issue whether value system can be determined on the basis of rationality, convenience, practicality, or does value system derive from a superior command? Philosophically, I don't believe that values without a divine being make any sense. After a long journey with philosophy, long journey with philosophy, um, I'm sorry, natural law does not make sense uh, if it does not anchor itself in a supreme being. Um, even the idea of liberty and freedoms or rights, it, it, we always, it, it, they always deteriorate and end up, when all is said and done, they end up uh, settling to the vulgar logic of utility regardless of how much they try to avoid that. So there is a, it's as if Allah is alerting us. It's not as if, I believe that in fact Allah is alerting us that, you know, as much as you try to delude yourself that, um, that you can have a value system apart from the divine. When all is said and done, your value system, when shove, when pull comes to shove, or whatever that expression is, push comes to shove, or whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, when it gets real. Uh, it's given to end up being something very much like Hannah Arendt's um, natural choice 
because when it becomes when with the logic of scarcity and not just scarcity of resources mind you scarcity of even time when when it gets to the point of oh I can't accommodate you for any reasons because America comes first because my neighborhood comes first because my family comes first because whatever comes first unless we have an objective frame of reference for our values, we end up always, always, always resorting to the logic of realism and pragmatism and gradualism. Oh, okay, well, we'll serve the interests of the West right now and we'll help the third world later. Look where this got us. The world is in a mess. What we've done to the environment and what we've done to colonizing nations and what we've done to... It, it doesn't come out of a vacuum. It, it comes out of all the ways that we've convinced themselves that we can pursue a public good without a divine being. Because ultimately, it deteriorates into the logic of, well... Country comes first, neighborhood comes first, race comes first, and there is a reason why when all is said and done, the countries in the world, okay, countries in the world that are all at the forefront of production and privilege, is it a coincidence that they're all white? Because whatever value system we do, when it comes to the real world, we end up acting in a very tribal way because we ourselves ultimately say, well, you know, yeah, but we have to understand that there are gradations. Or, you know, it, it, it's like trying to rationalize why is torture haram or wrong without the divine. I once had a debate with an Israeli scholar. Oh, well, you know, oh, but about the Israeli Supreme Court decision that said that torture is legal and morally right. Oh, well, what if the bomb is going to explode and it's going, you know, we need to torture a person to save lives. And I said, when is this bomb ever going to explode killing Palestinians and we need to torture an Israeli to save Palestinian lives? Your hypothetical is always that we're going to torture the Arab to serve Israelis. But the gaze is never turned around. And that's precisely what's wrong with your public value system. It, it conceals an enormous amount of racism and elitism and privilege. It is marred in delusions. So, Muslims must not just participate in the public good. If Muslims truly understand their religion, they must pioneer the public good. Because Allah says, if you don't pioneer the public good, then you have not inherited the earth. I gave you this earth so, so that you will bear witness upon people. How can you be the bearers of witness 
if you are in the tail of humanity, you're in the sewage of humanity, you are trailing behind humanity, it kills me. I gave a lecture when I, about COVID. You know, it was a ter lecture in Turkey. And there's like, oh, Muslim responsibility about blah, 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 COVID. I said, you want to know what, what I think about Muslim responsibility about COVID? Why is it that I can predict with absolute certainty that the, the, the um, um, what do you call that? Vaccine. vaccine. The, the vaccine for COVID is going to come from non-Muslim countries. You don't cut the BS. Why are Muslims investing, you know, forcing their governments to invest millions of dollars in scientific research so we can be, we can represent Allah in serving humanity? The, the Egyptians invented a, a vaccine to COVID by the military showing up on TV and saying, in the same way they invented the cure to AIDS, which was, you know, said, oh, it's like a skewer of kufta, I feed it to the, you know. In other words, we, it's all make-believe. That's what Muslims are good at. Just make-believe. We all just, like, pump each other's egos. So, you know, some Egyptian idiot came up on TV and said, oh, yes, the Egyptians have invented it, and we are sending the, the, the vaccine to COVID to, to China to help the Chinese. And, you know, enough. Enough. Until Muslims say the idea of, it's like Sheikh Ghazali used to say, my, that the idea of a Muslim dependent on others for knowledge, for dignity, for civilization is a complete and total betrayal of Islam. It's as simple as that. You can't be a Muslim and spend your money on luxury and, and fun and taking care of your children and sending them to the best schools and you leave investing in the sciences and investing in knowledge and investing in, in morals and investing in goodness to non-Muslims. You're not worth being a Muslim. In fact, for me personally, all your Salah and Psalm is worthless. You know, Okay, you have a tranquilizer? <laughs> Ice cream. <laughs> Any more questions? I need rest for Tuesday. No, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any final comments? Do you want to tell us what you no, really think? Uh, yeah. No, I'll do that. No, but can, can, can you get off the screen? Okay, you can do it after. Okay. Okay, alhamdulillah, so this concludes our first Project Illumin gathering. How, what's the time count? How long did Five we and a half almost. Five and a half hours. Okay, how did it feel? Did it feel like two hours? Yeah, alhamdulillah. Okay, well, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know, are we going to do another one on Tuesday? I'm not going to do uh, a Quran halakha on Tuesday because I, I still have... But... Inshallah, next weekend. Next Saturday, Inshallah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so nice seeing all, all of you. May Allah bless you and protect you. And 
Inshallah, if you can if you can join us, try to join us as much as you can. If we can see you Saturday next week, inshallah, that would be a great blessing. So have a great week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.